Welcome to our podcast. My name is Keely Severson, and I am here with Eric Johnson and Alicia Swamy, and together we are Exposing Mold. Today we are interviewing Ryan Sutter. This podcast is brought to you by Michael Rubino, the Mold Medic, and All American Restoration, the first and only mold remediation company in the country specializing in remediating mold for people with underlying health conditions or mold sensitivities. They've quickly become the most recommended remediation company from doctors and mold inspectors nationwide. Check out our show notes to pick up your copy of Michael Rubino's book, The Mold Medic, an expert guide on mold remediation, or visit allamericanrestoration.com to get your home assessed and get your health back on track today. Ryan, I have heard through the grapevine that you were once on The Bachelor, and I talked to my niece and she informed me that you are in fact bachelor royalty. Congratulations. I'm curious as to how bachelor royalty ended up in mold sickness. And right before we started recording, you were kind of sharing your frustrations. So could you continue that conversation with how you were feeling frustrated in knowing how to navigate your illness and how you became sick and realized you were sick and what that journey has been like. Sure. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot to talk about. I'll, I'll try to cover all that stuff. First, let's debunk the rumor of bachelor royalty. I don't know. I'm not sure that actually exists, but that, that is true. I was, that was where I met my wife. We've been married 18 years now. So it's, it's, it's like another phase of life that I barely even remember exists, but but yeah, that's that's was the formulation of my relationship and and all of the really good things in my life years and years ago. And and now without that support system, mostly from my wife, I think that navigating this process of chronic illness and mold exposure and stuff would be much more difficult. So I I um, feel for all the people that are taking this on by themselves and the frustrations that they must be encountering without any kind of help, especially on the days where you just don't have a ton of energy to to do stuff. So yeah, that, that was that definitely not any sort of royalty though. And so I guess working backwards almost two years ago, well, even so it's funny how this happens. I started to feel pretty terrible about two years ago. And as I've gone through the past two years, I've started to notice things that, that may have been contributing to some of that prior to those two years, smaller symptoms, little things that I just sort of wrote off as being tired or just general illness, PTSD at one point. So lots of different things that now may have all been all part of the same thing. So, the, and, and that's kind of the mystery that I'll, I'll try to get back to as far as the frustrations go. But what happened with me was I, I work in the fire service and I work, we, we live up near Vail, Colorado, and I worked for the Vail Fire Department for 17 years. And I started getting sort of weird symptoms there of like lightheadedness and just general not feeling well and figured that maybe it was time for me to get out of that profession. So I I did. I retired from the fire service and went and started building houses and then and then decided that my my purpose lied more in emergency service and not in building houses. So I started to work my way back into emergency service, having spent some time figuring out ways to reduce stress in my life. I think that that stress plays a a large role in a lot of different things. And and I think that was what was sort of causing a lot of my symptoms when I was at at Vail Fire. So long story short, I I applied for the Denver Fire Department, was accepted there and almost two years ago to the day, 
today started into an 18-week fire academy. I was 45 at the time, so not the ideal age to be starting over in that kind of an environment. And and so as I worked my way through that, my ability to recover, I guess, at my age is, is, isn't quite as good. So my body was getting more and more tired. COVID happened. I, I got COVID. That weakened my immune system. And we got to the last eight weeks of the fire academy where we do uh, what, what are called burn days every two twice a week, which is where you like you light sort of these burn buildings on fire and you practice all these exercises. But a lot of times we put drywall in there and that gets wet and it's not cleaned out well. We because of COVID, there was a shortage of N95 masks, which we would normally wear cleaning those buildings out after we're done with them. We didn't have those masks and so we didn't have a lot of respiratory protection going into those sort of dirty environments. And I I started to feel like I always had, like kind of like I had the flu, but like a lot, a lot. And it would kind of kind of come and go. I just sort of wrote it off as maybe lingering effects of COVID, fatigue. Like you can find a million different, I guess, potential causes that you can come up with in your mind to figure all that stuff out. So I ended up, you know, graduating from the academy and thinking oh, that that will help solve the problem. I'll get more rest, and then I'll gradually start feeling better. That didn't happen. So we started. I started working my normal schedule. I was on what's called probation for your first year, which is just sort of your first year of the fire service. It's a little more difficult than subsequent years because you're responsible for a lot more. So I wasn't getting necessarily the rest that I thought I would get, but I was getting more rest, but I wasn't feeling any better. So finally, I went to the doctor, did some general blood tests, came back with a pretty high ANA titer. It was 1280. And that was really the only marker that showed up that was saying like, there's some sort of maybe autoimmune thing happening here. So that led me to a rheumatologist who tested me for things like lupus and different autoimmune um, diseases. And it didn't come up. None of that came up positive. Uh, Lyme did not come up positive on the Western blot test. And so this doctor wanted to put me on just random medication to see like it was he said we would try one thing and see if that worked and if that didn't work we would try another thing and, and on and on and and I didn't um want to do that I don't like to take I don't like to take aspirin and I didn't want to just start taking uh, medications as a, some sort of ex- exploratory type of treatment and so I started go, you know going looking into other doctors and found a functional medical doctor out of Boulder, Dr. Jill Carnahan, who I spoke to several times. I did more blood tests. I've never taken so many blood tests. And she had me take the hygienics test, which showed some Lyme disease. And then I also came back positive for mold exposure, which made a ton of sense because in those burn buildings, there's, there's that, that's wet drywall just gets moldy, you know, kind of quick. There's not a lot of circulation and it's just, it's bad. So I, so I was in those environments, started to, started to see some light at the end of the tunnel as far as, oh, well, maybe I have Lyme and mold exposure and this is going to be something that I can find a path towards wellness. And I think, you know, we went on some, I don't, I don't, and I'm terrible at remembering all of the different supplements that I took and things like that, but they were geared towards removing toxins from my body, getting rid of the mold stuff and then trying to tackle the Lyme and other things like that. Uh, where I sit right now is I have been to obviously traditional Western medical doctors. I've been to functional medical doctors and I don't necessarily trust any of them anymore. So 
I was on so many supplements, like you know, probably ten thousand dollars a year's worth of supplements. So somewhere between seven, five to seven hundred dollars a month on these different supplements, herbal supplements and vitamins and all that sort of stuff. It's really difficult to to take those, like find the schedule to take those. And you know, I did everything that I could to do it. Did it for several months and was getting really no um, relief from from it, other than just being worried about taking all of these supplements and spending a ton of money that I didn't really want to be spending. So I stopped taking them. I was like, I'm just going to see what happens if I stop taking them. And, and really nothing happened. I didn't feel any worse. I didn't necessarily feel any better, but I didn't, I started to think, I started to have doubts basically as to what the, what the motivation was behind all of this stuff. Because you hear so many different stories about people that are able to get over, especially the Lyme part of it. People are able to get over it. People are never able to get over it. Something you, This is something you live with for the rest of your life. This isn't something you live with for the rest of your life. You're supposed to feel worse before you get better. All this sort of stuff. It didn't wasn't making a ton of sense to me. And I wasn't seeing really any benefit from this battery of things that I was doing. The excuse was always, well, it could take, up, it could take years and years. And I'm like, well... That doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why it has to take years and years to get this. Like I, it just didn't. It just wasn't working with me um, psychologically. And so I started doing things that were working, like detoxifying in a um, infrared sauna several times a week, and those types of things that I had tried that were working. I kept those in my regimen. I still keep those in my regimen. There were certain deficiencies that showed up in my blood work, like like B, B vitamins and D vitamins. And so I started spending more time outside, which I used to do all the time. And then this sort of ironically, when you're not feeling well, you tend to not go outside as often. And I think that that compounds the issue sometimes, at least for me, I think there's, I think there's just a lot of inherent healing that happens in the wilderness and in nature. And I used to spend a ton of time there. And suddenly I wasn't spending much time at all there. And so I changed those types of things. I do take um, a multivitamin and I take some glutamine stuff to help strengthen my, specifically help strengthen my immune system. But I'm not taking a lot of herbs or things that are supposed to target different bacteria or molds or that sort of stuff. The mold stuff has actually gotten quite a bit better from, we had our house tested and my house is clear. I don't spend any time in the, those sort of moldy training environments anymore. And the detoxifying stuff I do when I get off of work, we work 24 hour shifts. And so when I get home, I'll, I'll do at least a day or two of, of those, of, of a sauna. And sometimes I'll take binders and that kind of stuff to get that stuff out of my system. But that's kind of where I'm at now. I don't feel 100% better, but I feel considerably better than I did two years ago and continue to talk to you. That's kind of why I, I like talking to people like you guys who have firsthand experience in this stuff and, you know, can kind of share your experiences, what's worked for you, what hasn't worked for you. I I also get kind of, I've gotten a little bit jaded to that too, because especially through social media, every time I do a post on I'm feeling better, I'm not feeling better, whatever, I, I get a battery of like, oh, you must have this disease or this disease, or you're pretty much positive you have this or, and it's never good news. It's always like, oh, you have, this is definitely gone to your brain and like all sorts of stuff where you're like, wait, what? I like, I don't necessarily need to hear that. You know, I think there's always, there's a level of hypochondria that happens when you start getting told what you have, what you don't have, when you're starting to feel better. And then someone's telling you that you're never going to actually feel better completely. And all that kind of stuff is really hard to 
decipher and stay positive in that kind of environment. So that that's kind of where I'm at now, just trying to f- take sort of a patient's approach to this. I I get I get a lot more sleep. I pay a lot of a lot of attention to my nutrition now. I I try to stay out of moldy environments as best you can. But I think there's there's only so much you can do in regard to that stuff. Like you have to, you have, like I, like I was alluding to with getting outside, like you still have to live your life and be active. And, and I think you, you have to keep moving. Otherwise this stuff just seems to get worse and worse. The, the times when I was more stationary were the worst times. And I just feel like for me, I don't know. And I, and this is another thing I think I found is that, that these experiences are completely different for everyone. So you're, you're kind of fighting your own battle and like, I'm, I may talk to you and you may have something that, that worked perfectly for you. And I try it to the T and it just doesn't work for me. And, and there's been a lot of that type of stuff too. So anyway, I, I, I kind of am rambling now. There's just been a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things that I've felt good about a lot of successes I've felt like that I've had. And then there's been a lot of frustrations and a lot of failures and, and a lot of just finding that I don't, necessarily trust a lot of people that are in this this world trying to tell you that how you can get better and i don't feel like they necessarily want you to get totally better sometimes so anyway that might just be my jaded frustrated frustrated part of me coming out but for the most part i'm able uh, like i go to work whenever i need to go to work i am able to spend time with my family i don't feel like i have a, a, a terribly compromised lifestyle i just have had to make some adjustments in order to try to stay at a a baseline level where I can at least maintain that. What residual symptoms do you still have that you feel affect your quality of life the most? So most of my symptoms seem to be like from my shoulders or neck up. So I have like a ton of really weird neck, neck type pain things. I get so it's hard to say sore throats because it's almost like the outside of my throat gets sore, headaches and earaches and stuff like that. I'll get every now and then I'll get like a feeling of general malaise or just heavy fatigue. But I used to get fatigued to the point where, and I'm sure you guys guys know this, where you were like, I'll be thirsty and it will take an extraordinary psychological effort for me to convince myself to get up and get a glass of water because I'm just so tired. And it's, it's almost like a paralyzing fatigue. I, I don't get that so much anymore, but I do get a lot of that sort of, head and neck stuff, sinus stuff. I'll get the the like joint pain and stuff that I used to get a little more of has has gone away for the most part, but I'll still get some stuff in like my hands from time to time. But generally my symptoms have reduced in that regard. Curiously, have you ever suffered a head or neck injury previously? I have. Yeah, I've had several concussions and I have, I've actually broken my, not like I, I say I've broken my neck. It sounds much worse than it actually is, but it's, I can't remember the name of the little like hooks on the back that kind of hold your vertebrae together. But yeah. The foramen? Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I've had a lot of injuries. Oh, and that was another thing that compounded. Some of this was, I had an accident at work had to, and had to have my knee replaced and my ankle reconstructed all within this last six months and so that didn't help with things because i was putting my body in under another level of stress and need to heal as well as you know all the different like narcotics that you had to take to go through that surgical process and stuff more more things that i had to try to detox out of my system when it was appropriate so 
it's just been kind of a rough two years as far as that goes. It's just, and some of it's just been like, like the Academy was not necessarily a, something that you would think of as rough, but it just was exhausting. And, and that contributed to a lot of things and then getting injured and having to have two major surgeries didn't help the process of trying to get better. And then, and then just trying to find, you know, every, and then the battles that everybody fights, trying to find someone they trust that can guide them through this process and being able to afford that. Cause, you know, obviously none of this stuff is covered by insurance usually. And, and so it's just been that battle of trial and error and trying to stay healthy long enough to make gains in the process. Did you want to say something, Keely? I wanted to go to ask him a few things. I was just going to share with him that that's a pattern that I've observed with head injuries. Residual symptoms can kind of linger in an area that's already endured some trauma. Mm-hmm. And also these symptoms in general aren't necessarily one size fits all. I mean, I heard you just listening to you talk. I heard you speak about the frustration with, you know, your treatment protocol and it it wasn't the miracle fix that you thought. And then questioning the intention of the providers who are kind of just offering these protocols, like what's the intention here? Uh You know, because when everyone, if everyone has been, let's say 10 people are sick from mold and they all have different symptom presentations, well, they're throwing the same protocol kind of at everyone, right. you know, I'm, I'm curious, has any other doctor or provider ever asked you about a previous head injury in relation to your symptoms? No, I don't think so. No, it, they've talked about other injuries in, as far as in the doctor that I was, was seeing knew about my knee and ankle surgeries, because I was like, I was, you know, she was consulting me through that process. That all happened of the anesthesia that maybe kind of worsened your symptoms, or did you not have like a a downward trend after after just the normal recovery of what you'd expect from that surgery i had i had a downward trend for sure some of it was but so initially it was i actually felt good after the surgeries and i don't know if that was if that had anything to do with with the with the medications or like antibiotics or anything like that that i was taking during that process or if it was just because i was i was getting rest or or something i felt initially a I felt pretty good for the first probably week or two after the surgeries. And then that's when things started to kind of come back. As I was able to get a little bit more activity in my life, that's when stuff started to kind of trigger back in. And then, but, and that was probably several months of that. But as I started to climb out of that and start to get over the tipping point of those, those surgical recoveries, then I've been able to, like I said, I've been able to get outside more. I've been able to have some sort of meaningful, purposeful activity in my life, and that has that has started to to help. So it has been a little bit of a roller coaster throughout that process. I wanted to ask you, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us today. And you know, <laughs> everything that you just described is exactly why we created Exposing Molds because of the amount of scamming that just happens within this realm. And I feel like everyone nowadays is a mold expert. Everyone is telling you this and that, and everyone knows everything these days, but yet everyone is still sick. (laughs) It makes no sense to me. And so that's why we basically started exposing mold because I mean, I, I went through my exposure. I had stachybotrys in my house I'm currently going through another exposure stachybotrys in my brand new apartment that I'm now displaced in a hotel. And it 
it's just been hell. And, you know, it, it made me so angry to see myself go through provider, provider, functional doctor, mold doctor, and I was never getting better. And when you're so sick, you're desperate, right? Like what you said, you, you find something that someone recommends and you follow it to a T and it doesn't work. And this led me to Eric, who has been trained in the army and actually puts a biological warfare nerve agent type of training to mold exposure. And as we know, with a lot of experts that we have talked to, you know, chronic Lyme is synonymous with, with continued mold exposure. Yeah. I mean, mold exposure is more than just testing your house and being free and clear of it. There's a lot of nuances in it. And that's where Eric's training and expertise has helped a lot of people help has helped me has helped Keely as well. And so I'd love to, you know, have Eric break that down for you because it's not something that costs a lot of money. It's literally things that you do. It's just strategies. That's it. And what I was really curious about, as you were explaining your mold exposure in the firehouse that you're working for, did you notice any other people that were getting sick like you with mold exposure at the same time or at maybe other times or maybe people complaining about strange illnesses or cancers or anything like that? We did have a couple of people, one one guy that I continue to talk with who had similar type issues. They, his path took him through, like, I think they, they were looking into thyroid type issues and lots of different things like that. So we've been in contact with each other trying to, so when I'll talk to a doctor or talk to you guys or whatever, or get some sort of information that may be useful we stay in communication he's uh, similar in age and lifestyle to me it's it's so it was so hard because it was such a weird time to go through something like this because we did have this pandemic that that went through everybody and so at, at and you know it's still kind of that like way now like every time you feel like you sit you get sick it's it's like gotta be covid or you have to go get tested for covid or like everything seems to come back to that so you're not necessarily looking at other options, but we did have, I would say, I know at least me and, and this other gentleman, and then probably a couple other people got sick. Uh, they, I think a few of them have been, have moved on. Others haven't, but it's been remarkable how many people have come out once, once I, once I sort of made it public that I had, had gotten this Lyme diagnosis and mold diagnosis, a bunch of people at Denver Fire have reached out to say they have a similar thing. And it's it's not something that these guys and girls talk a lot about because you don't necessarily want to show chinks in, your, chinks in your armor necessarily in that profession so that people don't think that you, you're, you're, you're going to have some sort of weakness or that you're putting their life in jeopardy because you have this kind of disease that no one understands. And, and that's the other thing is people hear Lyme disease or not so much mold. I think mold just kind of hides under it's it's not quite as prevalent in discussion as Lyme so when you say if you say I was exposed to mold people are like, I don't, like so you know like that what does that mean did you you ate a piece of bread that had mold on it or there was cheese or something like it it doesn't it's not well understood that it's an environmental exposure where and then then you say Lyme and people are like oh I knew somebody with Lyme disease and he you know couldn't do anything or what you know it got to his, like, it's like these horror stories. And so they, it's really hard 
for people who aren't going through it or who haven't been educated at all in it to understand necessarily what you're doing because because I'm still showing up to work on time and I'm still doing everything that I'm supposed to do and and so the perception is that maybe it's not that big of a deal when there's there's no it's really difficult I find to explain how the chronic illnesses or exposures make you feel it's you know, even when you asked me you know what my symptoms are it's I I, I think that's the most seemingly easy question to answer and most difficult question to answer. So like if I'm if I'm responding to you on a 911 call, I'm going to come in and I'm going to ask you what is how what's your pain feel like on a scale of 1 to 10, what does it feel like? Does it what's what kind of quality of pain is it? Is it radiating? Is it burning? Is it that and I have a really hard time putting the way that I feel into the that type of a description because there's no 1 to 10. Like I, this doesn't feel like this isn't a four on the pain scale. It's, and is it radiating at, well, sometimes, sometimes I get sharp pain. Sometimes I get burning pain. Sometimes it's just a general achiness. And, and uh, the way that I've described it when it's at its worst is if you, if you could imagine running the New York marathon, so you just ran, you just ran 26 miles and you crossed the finish line. And instead of them giving you a participation medal, they gave you a shot of the flu. And then you woke up the next day having just run a marathon and been given the flu. That's how it feels sometimes, but it's really hard to, to explain that in uh, words that people kind of get. And so that, that challenge has just been something that I've, I've had a hard time with. And, you know, and I honestly don't even remember what the original question was that I'm trying to answer here, but, but that's been sort of the challenge with me is, you know, that there have been a lot of people that have popped up that understand what I'm going through, but they're usually the people that, are also going through it. It's hard to hard to convey how you feel to people that really have no idea what you're confronting. That's amazing that your wording, you just chose exactly the precise wording that was used in the original chronic fatigue syndrome outbreak. I think word for word, how people described it. Like I had just run a marathon and I'm not recovering from it. Yeah. It's astonishing. In fact, the uh, term chronic fatigue, if you think about it, you know, chronic means perpetual. It's, you know, ongoing. Right. Fatigue is the pleasant sensation you had after doing some kind of exertion where you rest and you feel better. And mm-hmm. fatigue is a very transient thing. So having the two words together, chronic and fatigue, made no sense. Right. So at the time, we put those words together to describe how we felt like we had run a marathon, except it wasn't going away. Mm-hmm. Over time, the uh, medical professions actually altered the meaning of the words so that now chronic fatigue just means perpetual tiredness. And that's not what it used to mean. Yeah. They, they suck the meaning right out of the words just to have it fit their paradigm. Mm-hmm. But just as you say, in the original outbreak at Lake Tahoe that drew the Center for Disease Control's attention to this phenomenon, I noticed a weird kind of academic insanity, just, just as you say, where doctors defined treatment, they defined the disease by whatever pill they could push at you that seemed to make a difference in it. Mm-hmm. They, they plied everybody with supplements and vitamins and antivirals and antibiotics and treatments of all kind. And they, that was their filter. That is how they interpret the disease with no systematic effort to try to figure out what the heck it was. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Uh, people by the hundreds are going to doctor, to doctor, to doctor, 
trying out every vitamin, every probiotic. People wound up with shopping bags full of vitamins that you could, you could diagnose somebody with chronic fatigue syndrome just by opening up their kitchen cabinet and looking for the bags of of vitamins. And it was absolutely insane. And none of it was working. I mean, an entire town full of people all running to different doctors, all paying thousands and thousands of dollars for these therapies that aren't working. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of all this, some of us discovered that if we got out of town, got out to the desert, we started to recover mm-hmm. in a, a miraculous way that was so astounding that when we did recover, we would report this to doctors and they would say, great, that must have been some kind of fluke or your reduced stress, or I guess those vitamins must have worked. We right. go, no, actually, we just got out of town. That's all it was. Yeah. And there seemed to be something, some kind of exposure back in civilization, back in town that prevented us from recovery. So armed with that knowledge, you can look around at who recovers and who does not. And it was plain to see that the people who failed to recover were ones in sick buildings. Mm-hmm. A clear pattern. The clusters of sick people were all in sick buildings. Not all buildings were sick. So when people, when the flu went through and people recovered and they weren't in the sick building, it seemed like, well, you can't blame the flu because it went away, except when somebody was in a sick building. Mm-hmm. So let's apply a little systematic analysis to this thing here. What is in those buildings? Yeah. And there's many chemicals and VOCs, microbes. All kinds of stuff in a building that you can you can find which might possibly be implicated in this. But if you look at them long enough, a clear pattern of toxic mold showed up, stachybotrys. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could have one set of chemicals in one building, carpet fumes in another, copy machine toner in another. People are complaining about these all these different chemicals, but the common denominator was this toxic mold. Mm-hmm. So my proposal to doctors was that we attach a little more importance to this this mold, which loves to grow on sheetrock. That, that sheetrock that you're using when you're burning down those buildings where you wet this stuff down. Yeah, and and really it it didn't take long to find other clusters, other people diagnosed elsewhere with a mystery illness, and it was the same thing. It was something in sick buildings, and when they applied a little bit of research to the topic, the common denominator was this toxic mold. So ever since then, I've seen the same pattern where doctors apply this this philosophy of defining their cures or defining what the illness is by whatever supplement or whatever treatment seems to make a dent in it and attaching no importance at all to whatever that darn mold is in the sheetrock. And it looks like you got caught up with that too. Have you been following Shemaine Nugent? Ted Nugent's wife, you know, the rocker, no. Ted Nugent. I know, I know Ted Nugent. No, I have not been following his wife. No. Yeah. She just released a documentary oh, killer yeah. house where Ted Nugent, Shemaine, their son, Rocco, the entire family got sick from a fairly new house. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was this toxic mold. Yeah. And it shows, I mean, she was a health expert. That was, that's been her entire career. Is mm-hmm. dedicated to teaching others how to be healthy. And here this mold comes along and just takes out her entire family. They lost everything. They had to bulldoze the house. Oh, Ted geez. lost a lot of his memorabilia, you know, his old guitar stuff. Yeah. Oh. And this is such a clear example 
of how this mold completely overwhelms our natural defenses. Mm-hmm. It, it can it it doesn't matter how healthy you try to be, how how many supplements you take. This stuff is bad, and it will just take you down. Right. So the uh, question is, how much of it does it take to be a driving force in your illness? Yeah. Not much. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, microscopic amounts. We find that once we've been sensitized to this stuff, that just the amount of toxic mold that's brought back on our clothing from walking to a sick building mm-hmm. or on possessions that we took with us when we moved, or even new things that happen to be manufactured in a moldy building mm-hmm. are enough to keep that droning low level sensation of not being able to recover. That, that just stays with us. Yeah. It takes, and that's why uh, Lisi brought up the biological warfare aspect, because in the military, I was trained that minute amounts of certain biological weapons were capable of doing this. Mm-hmm. And my training kicked in, and all I had to do was make that mental association that microscopic amounts could affect me this way and go through a process of strategic avoidance, decontamination. And I was able to make a fantastic improvement mm-hmm. that, like I say, was so astounding that doctors dismiss it because this wasn't in the purview of their supplements and vitamins. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. Listen, a large number of audience members have been reaching out after hearing my tragic COVID story of losing my family member because the hospital treating her refused to provide her the medication she needed to fight the virus. I appreciate all the love and support and my biggest piece of advice, advice that I've been providing over and over again is to begin multi-drug treatment day one of COVID symptoms. At mygotodoc.com, you can obtain help from Dr. Saeed Hader, who has treated over 40,000 COVID and COVID long haul patients with zero deaths. Yes, you heard me, zero deaths. That's an impressive track record for sure. Once you sign up to become a patient at mygotodoc.com, You can send free messages to Dr. Hader's care team forever and obtain prescription medications from the most affordable pharmacies in the country that ship right to your door. And you don't have to deal with price gouging or corporate pharmacies that stop you from receiving the life-saving medications you need. Now, although we're hoping, fingers crossed, that Omicron means the end of the pandemic, many researchers are predicting another wave in a few months. That means high-risk patients need preventative treatment or at least meds on hand so they can start treatment fast. Low-risk patients often benefit from off-label meds because they can prevent long COVID. A recent article in Fortune magazine states that one of the pandemic's biggest mysteries, the symptoms of long COVID, may be playing a huge part in the millions of missing workers. Over 100 million Americans report having lingering effects of the virus. Now, thankfully, after learning all that I know and going through all that I went through, I signed myself and my family up for mygotodoc.com and stocked our medicine cabinets with all of the life-saving medications I wish I had for my deceased loved one. Please learn from my mistakes and prepare yourself today. MyGoToDoc.com is your go-to resource for COVID-19. That's a question that maybe has been in the back of my mind and that you can, you guys can help answer is to me, I feel like the bigger issue with me is not the 
not the Lyme or any kind of potential long COVID or any of these, any viral or bacterial load. It's more an exposure load, like what you're talking about, where it's either it's mold or, you know, because you, I, I hear the same things that you do, where it's like, oh, well, you also have to get rid of electromagnetic things. And like, like all of this stuff that we're exposed to as human beings in the world now, chemically chemicals, radiation and electricity and all these sorts of things are all like firing bullets into our immune system and weakening our immune system. And you have to get rid of all of it. And, and, and I can't like, that's impossible. And so that's the hard part that I'm, that's what I'm struggling with is I, I honestly think that my, this is just, I think that, that biologically our immune systems are are meant to be fairly robust and they they can generally fight back most exposures to things like bacteria and viruses and that sort of stuff. When the when our immune systems are getting compromised, repeatedly compromised, like what you're talking about with mold exposure, or once we've been sensitized to it, and it's taking less and less of that to really batter our immune systems, well then they're not able to do what they're intended to do as far as the fighting back these different bacteria and, and viruses. And, and that maybe compounds the issue, but I'm trying to do what my, my sort of philosophy is, is I'm just trying to rebuild my foundation to the point where it can start to not be as impacted by, you know, what, what I don't want to get a cold every single time that my daughter gets a cold, you know, like I don't want to be Every time I'm exposed to something, I feel like I can't fight it off. And so that's where I'm struggling is how do I get myself back to where I apparently was for 45 years of my life, where I, I did, it's the same job. I, I've always done this same job. I've always had the same lifestyle. I've always done all the same stuff. And then in two years, I've gone from feeling about as good as I've ever felt in my life to feeling about as bad as I've ever felt in my life. And it doesn't make sense that something would happen that quickly without it being like some sort of like an acute type of exposure that started a spiraling effect. And so that's, that's where I'm at now. And I'm just trying to figure out, and I know, I know I may, will probably never get, you know, I can't reverse the aging process. I can't go back to that exactly, but I would like to get to the point where I've, I can build, build my foundation back up to the point where it's at least got a chance, you know, and, and that's kind of where, I'm at now and where I'm, I'm hoping I can start to find some direction where things like, you know, altering my diet has, have helped or, or detoxifying on a regular basis seem to, seems to help. And like I said, getting outside and getting you know into the wilderness in places where I feel healthier has helped, but is that stuff truly helping? Is it, or that, or is that just sort of psychological or is, you know, like what's going on with me? And, and that's, that's the struggle that I'm having. Like you said, it's you, you can go to lots of different places where people want to hook you up to IVs and do all this sort of stuff that they say, despite the expenses, you know, I've been told a million times, well, don't look at it as an expense. It's an investment in your health. And I'm like, well, no, this is not, this isn't to me, this is an investment in my doctor's lifestyle rather than in my health, because that is so much so much money and and like thousands and thousands of dollars we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars in some cases and i just don't i just can't believe that that's the way out of this and so i've always been someone that has believed in sort of the power of yourself and that, that 
Like there's millions of years of evolution in our bodies that have fought off things over time. Like there's got to be some way to tap back into that, to rebuild some of that system and put the force field back up so that, so that we're not constantly being battered back down, or maybe I'm delusional and then I'm, and that that's not possible, but I, that that's, that's what I'd like to hope is that there's some way that I can, you know, through diligence, build myself back to the point where I'm not susceptible to every little thing that I come across. Ryan, I think that this is where some of the biological biowarfare training that Alicia mentioned that Eric has comes into play. Mm-hmm. And we can maybe broach the topic here and maybe even talk about it more privately after the recording. But when when people have become sensitized to the point that their immune systems are so weak that every little bacteria and virus and exposure kind of tanks them, as you've just described, minute amounts of residual contamination can keep a person in a weaker state. I was also made extremely sick from mold and just being, (laughs) this is going to sound crazy to you. It's going to sound crazy to anyone who hears this. My mom worked in a moldy building for 18 years. And every time she would get into her car after work, she would drive 10 minutes home and 10 minutes back to work and drive around in her car and her moldy clothes and her moldy hair. Mm -hmm. She has not worked in that office for over a year. I have mold reactions when I'm near her just because of the residual contamination on her clothing that she won't get rid of and from her riding in her car. And that is the level of residual contamination that can keep people who are extremely sensitive, like us four, sick. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe, maybe this can open the door to to allowing us to have that conversation because I feel like your intuition is spot on. It's it's a residual exposure of some sort. Mm-hmm. You know? So isolating those areas. And if you have any questions on the detailed science side, Eric is our is our go-to educator on that. Yeah, no, I think, so the, the problem I have is like, I can't control every environment that I go into as far as like, just professionally, I have to go where I have to go. And so I, I don't know that I can completely avoid exposure for the rest of my life without completely changing up the, the career, my career. And that just really isn't an option at, at this point, at least. For me, I, I just started this career back over and I love what I do. And there's a lot of value, I think, in having purposeful work and a meaningful existence. And so if I were to do that, I'm not sure it would make me any, maybe I would feel healthier, but I certainly wouldn't feel happier. And so that isn't something I want to do. So I, 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 like I, that's why I think that things like, like being able to find ways to detoxify to some degree are important to me. Where even if I can't get to a hundred percent, at least I can stay at 80% or something where I am, am functioning well without feeling like, like right now, like my, I, I have like the sort of neck symptom stuff and I have these like, like sort of earache type things. But when I'm at home, that stuff sort of subsides. And then when I go back to work, you know, it's, depending on the environment, sometimes it comes back, sometimes it doesn't. But so do you feel like work is the source of your continued exposure? Is that what, that's what I feel like I'm hearing? That's my suspicion. 
you know, because we go into a lot of people's houses and a lot of really unhealthy people's houses. I deal with a lot of really unhealthy people, period. I don't think the firehouse itself is the exposure. I think it's the environments that we go in during the course of the, of the shift that are where I, where I potentially may or may not be getting exposed. And because there are days where I go to work and I don't feel anything. And then there are days when I go to work and I do. And so if, if kind of what you guys are saying in that, you know, even sort of micro level exposure can trigger these types of things, then that would make sense that when I was, you know, exposed to whatever level of exposure I'm getting at, at work, it's triggering these symptoms. And then when I'm able to leave that environment and come back to a healthier environment, it, it sort of alleviates itself. And so, you know, it's, if, if unfortunately I have to deal with that level of fluctuation for a while, that's, that's a functional level of fluctuation that I can deal with. But it would honestly help to know that, to just say, all right, here's, here's the deal. Like if you want to stay in this profession, then you're just going to have to live with this. It's probably not going to kill you, but you're never going to feel a hundred percent great while you're at work. And then I can, so, so I can schedule what I've tried to do is schedule my shifts so that I work, I'll work a couple of days in a row at the firehouse. And then like right now I have a week off and then I'll go back to work for a couple of days and have five days off. And every now and then I'll have to go like for a day and just have a couple of days off and do the normal schedule. But I, I've been able to, to structure my work schedule so I can go for a condensed amount of time and then get a, a longer amount of time off. At the end of that longer amount of time off, I generally feel pretty good. And then maybe I have to go back in, re-enter into that environment a little bit and sacrifice some of good feeling. But, but just, a, just like an honest answer to that would be sort of therapeutic to just be like, all right, here's like, this is the reality of the situation. You've chosen a profession where you're exposed to things that you're now sensitive to and that you're just going to have to either deal with that or change your profession. And then I can make an educated decision, but, but no one that I've talked to thus far has really given me any kind of honest answer in that regard. It's just been sort of, we're either going to be able to cure you or we're not going to be able to cure you. And that's just kind of how it goes. And so that's where I'm sitting um, uh, right now. This is why Shemaine Nugent's story is so fantastic because it explains so many things. First of all, this idea that doctors have that they're going to keep throwing supplements and vitamins at you to build up your immune system, that doesn't apply to somebody like her. She's a, a nutrition and health expert yeah. in the absolute best of health. So forget it. Throw all that garbage away. That is not the problem. And you see that over and over again. Mm -hmm. the, the people who recovered are people who did superior avoidance, yeah. not those who did all the supplements. And the um, other part of her story is that she built another house and started having problems in her new house. But thanks to her hypersensitivity, she was able to point directly at the source and address this. So this also tells you it's not mold in general. This isn't everywhere. It's very specific types of mold. It's only in a few locations, and as long as you can step away from it, and sometimes that means just getting away a couple of feet, mm -hmm. you can make a huge difference, avoid nearly all of your exposure, plus combine that with the concept that this stuff does get all over you, get in your hair, get on your clothes, get on your possessions, then armed with that knowledge, you know that you can keep this stuff out of your sleep zone, out of your house, 
decontaminate before you go home. Make sure that your, your bedroom is your safe zone where nothing from the outside world carries this substance back in so you get good restorative sleep. Yep. And that's where we make our improvements. Yeah. That that and that that's been something I do. I mean, I, I do I I bring clean clothes to work every morning. They're in a separate backpack, basically a separate bag. I, I shower before I leave work every day. And you know, we, we have you know filters and stuff all over our house. We've had our house tested and and it, it seems to be clear. So in, in that regard, I am, am trying to do whatever I can. I don't know if it if it helps to wear, you know, like an N95 mask into some of these environments that I go into when we're not on supplemental air, like in an actual fire type of environment. But, you know, things like that are, are obviously possible. And, and we we have become, just because of everything that I've gone through, we've become pretty self-aware and diligent about trying not to introduce things as best we can. We live in a fairly arid um, climate, so we're lucky in that regard where it's pretty dry, dry to the point where it's almost annoyingly dry because your hands and things crack and we deal with that sort of stuff or my wife especially deals with that because she's more of a fan of humidity. But so, so we're, we, we are doing what we can. And like I said, I do tend to recover at home. So that is at least encouraging. I don't, I'm not getting worse when I'm coming home. So I feel like that's one check in the positive column. I'm just looking to check as many of, um, of those boxes in that column as possible to, just to try to you know, stay as stay as well off as possible as I can. Well, I was fortunate because I had an entire town that was exposed to biotoxins, probably from an algal bloom, you know, the harmful algal blooms that have been emanating from lakes and throwing out some kind of nasty substance that makes people sick. And the supplements were so incredibly useless that I didn't waste my time on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, my treatment is beer and tacos. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know avoidance. That's that's what makes the difference for me. And what is this stuff? Why is there no effort on the part of doctors to really try to hone in on whatever this is, figure it out, so that we're making educated decisions? Well, Doctor Shoemaker actually did so. His first book addressing the subject desperation medicine is a fantastic primer for this effect. He described an algae, well, a pisteria outbreak, fish getting sick in the uh, Chesapeake and on the Pocomoke River, and people getting sick with what seemed to match sick building syndrome just from living next to the river. Mm-hmm. So he made the connection that these were a class of toxins that he calls ionophore toxins. These toxins lock into a certain part of the nervous system and disable basic neural function. And if you think of it that way, it explains a lot of the um, pressure at the base of the skull, the -hmm. headaches, the immune dysfunction that is so deep that it's like your entire body has broken down. It's not some kind of peripheral thing. It's it's completely systemic. Mm -hmm. And his model, as outlined in Desperation Medicine, was of Ciguatoxin, something that happens down in the Caribbean, a certain type of toxin that comes from bacteria that is absorbed by fish. And if you eat the big fish, which can store this toxin, the uh, fatty tissues can actually affect you, affect your nervous system and mess you up for life. Mm-hmm. And the legend of the Caribbean is don't eat the big fish. It's safe to eat the little ones. 
The little ones don't have the fat storage. So if they're exposed to this class of toxin, it'll kill them. So theoretically, if you have a live fish, it probably wasn't exposed and it's probably safe to eat. But the big ones, they store the toxins so they can go along sick and eating their flesh will make you sick. And it seems like the human body operates in that exact same way. We have the ability to store these toxins. If we can't deal with them right now, we can put them away for later. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we're in continued exposure, we store and store and store more of these toxins until finally we get to a point where we just can't handle it anymore and start to show these symptoms. Yeah. And this model of illness precisely fit what we were seeing. Supplements don't take care of it because all the binders, all the detox regimens, everything you take don't address something if it's stored in the tissue and not coming out. Yeah. You're just spinning your wheels. Mm-hmm. Whereas by getting out to the desert, getting clear of this toxin, something about the body feeling safe paved the way for the immune system to go, okay, I feel good here. I can let some of the stuff go. And out in the desert, we would actually start to feel an increased ability to sense these toxins. And we interpret this as intensification reaction. The body is releasing these. It floods our blood and our our intestines. So now we're starting to feel more symptoms, except it does this in a controlled fashion where we can pass these things out. When we go back to town, go back into re-exposure, we've got a little more endurance, a little more tolerance for whatever this substance is. So that's been, been the strategy is not so much to try to strengthen the immune system because that's not the problem. Mm-hmm. It is to concentrate on avoidance and get on the top side of the power curve to have their body feel safe to detox, let this stuff go so that we've got more endurance and more sensitivity so we can decide what to do with this when we come into re-exposure. And that yeah. seems to be what you describe where the sauna helps because sweating really is a wonderful way to help get these things out of our body. Yeah, I, I, I actually love that you just said that because we, we started going to the desert unintentionally, really just for the fun of it. A few years ago, we, we started going camping and stuff yeah, in the sort of Utah, Arizona area. And I always felt better there. And it's, it was interesting what you said about initially not feeling better because that always happened too, was we would go and I would initially kind of feel these symptoms coming on and my son and I would go mountain biking and stuff and, and gradually feel better. But whereas by the end of the trip, I was feeling pretty good. And I don't remember, honestly, don't remember if that translated into longer periods of feeling good when we got back or, or not. But things like that, that I've started to reincorporate into life is we don't live, like I said, we live, we don't live in the desert. We do live in an arid climate, but we're not far from Western Colorado, which is, which is the desert essentially, or Eastern Utah. And we've started to go there a lot more often. And I I do feel like, I thought it was just sort of almost like a Native American type of healing component of that just part of the country or something like maybe it was in the rocks or whatever there's vortexes in Sedona and all that sort of stuff for whatever reason I always just felt really good in the desert and maybe that's part of part of it is it's just it was completely removing me from these little exposures that were, were were preventing me from feeling that that well before so now I have even more excuse to 
spend more time in the desert, which is something that I like to do anyway. So that's, that's good news in, you know, in my mind is being able to go do, go do spend some more time out there and, and continuing. And, you know, another thing that I noticed was even in the fire Academy, I, I used to always be sweating things and, you know, I, I used to work out quite a bit more and sweat. And, and then I had kind of stopped because people said, you know, mild to moderate exercise is what you need. Don't overdo it. And then sort of on a whim, I started going back into these workouts where I did sweat a little more and I would feel better. And, and it, so a lot of the advice I was getting, so it's, it's in line with, with, with your supplement conversation is a lot of the advice I was getting was not working in the reality of my life. And so that was the sort of, that was the problem was people were telling me don't work out. And I was like, but I feel better when I do. People are telling me don't like take all these supplements. And I was like, but I feel better when I don't. And so why like, like you're, you're balancing the reality of what you feel with what people are telling you is necessary to get better. And that was driving me crazy. So what you're saying makes a ton of sense to me is in line with what I was talking about is I feel like there's just these exposures that are keeping me from getting better. And I just need to get that stuff so that, so that my body just can be its itself. Yeah. According to Dr. Shoemaker, this class of molecules lock into the nerves in such a way that the electrical charge generated by oxidative radicals keeps them in place. In other words, you've always got a flow of electrons moving through your body and the disease state is actually preventing these toxins from dissociating from where they're lodged into the receptors. Mm -hmm. So the key to improvement is to lower your exposure, lowering the inflammatory response, letting the body feel safe to where this electrical charge, the balance shifts, and these things finally start to move out of their receptors and you can excrete them. And there's a huge rift in the shoemaker world because a lot of his doctors, they don't understand this. And they take his class, and they do a certification, and they learn a little bit about the concept, and then it gets confusing and their patients don't like it. And so they revert right back to the same doctor model of selling anything and everything to their patients because that's profitable for them. And that's mm. what their patients want, but that's not what's helping. Yeah. So we've got about more than half of the uh, shoemaker doctors have left his practice. And even though they retain his certification, and pretend that they're shoemaker doctors, they are not practicing the actual application of his concepts. They're not adhering to the model. And the results that they're getting are more of addressing the secondary problems that come along with this illness, the dysbiosis, all the, the things that come along when you've been diseased for a while. Mm -hmm. They're helping with some of that stuff, but they're not getting at the root of the problem, the based value what went wrong in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that. We actually have providers approaching us now because, you know, providers are treating people that are literally on their deathbeds, but then when they send them home, you know, kind of what you described earlier with the $25,000 two week treatment, yeah, in yourself up to everything, each bot, all that, yeah. they go back home and then they relapse as if they never were ever treated. And so right. there's a missing component that providers are not understanding. And it's that, residual contamination of these minute, tiny molecules. And, you know, 
that was the only thing that saved me. I mean, I literally felt like I was on my deathbed. I was having heart attack, like symptoms. I was going to the ER, going into the ambulance every single day. And I'm like, something has got to give. No one can help me out. I found Eric. Eric is not pushing miracle treatments or telling me I have to pay him two two to $5,000 for his advice. He literally just said, control your contamination, follow these protocols, go out to the desert. That's literally what I did. And I'm still alive today. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm able to deal with subsequent exposures, like my current exposure in my, my brand new apartment with stachybotrys. And, you know, that's, that's the difference between getting well and healing and staying sick and miserable is, is that is implementing those protocols, those strategies. I mean, it, it's such, it's, it's a pain in the ass. It really is, yeah. but we have to do what we have to do in order to stay healthy, in order to, to feel well. And we see a lot of people in this illness who are, are drudging along, they're sick, but they're, they're not, you know, they're okay. Right. But they keep allowing their bodies to be exposed, exposed, exposed to where they are debilitated mm-hmm. and they can't walk and they're having heart attack, like symptoms, kind of like what Shemaine described. She was yeah. having these symptoms as well. And it's like, you have to do do these extreme things in order to get yourself back on the power curve. And Eric was able to do these things within six months. He was okay. Yeah. You know, he was, he went from being stuck in a, in a tub, not able to walk to, you know, hiking Mount Whitney in six months. And so when you have that kind of experience and Eric has been doing this for 35 years and not only has he been, you know, helping others with these decontamination protocols and strategies, but he's also been pressuring doctors and researchers, Stanford, I mean, all of the best of the best CDC, NIH. And when you start to understand what's really going on behind this, it really pisses you off because you're like, these people have known about stachybotrys, these minute exposures for such a long time. And there's so many people that are sick. They're losing everything. I mean, people are losing their spouses because spouses don't understand what the hell is wrong with their loved one. They think that they're crazy. This is not right. I mean, we were on a phone call with the EPA and the CDC, and I literally asked them, what are you guys going to do about the toxic mold problem that is running rampant in this country? And they say, oh, well, it's it's a non-issue. You know, we, we don't, there's not enough evidence. And when you understand like the malfeasance behind this, yeah, that's what really supercharged me to like, all right, I'm going to get well, and I'm going to fight for people like us who are losing everything to help them and really find solutions. And that's what Eric and Keely are doing as well. And that's why we built exposing mold. We're not here trying to pedal push these magical treatments. We're literally just providing information at the end of the day. It's like information that you can have that is either going to determine whether you stay sick or whether you are able to actually allow your body to heal. And it's, it's pretty crazy at the end of the day. And then you, (laughs) you just get, I think when I look back at everything and all the money I wasted, I'm just like, wow, you know, this is insane. Like these people act like they're, they were going to help me. And I put so much faith in them, but there's an ulterior motive and it's, and it's so disgusting. And we're really trying to, to pair through that. And also at this point, researchers aren't on our side. We're going to start doing our own research. You know, yeah. the hell with them. Eric knows what we need to do. We're just going to do it. And so we're hoping to maybe build some, you know, I don't know, not awareness because everyone's been trying to build awareness for this for the past 35 years. And I think everyone is fully aware of the toxic mold issue at this point, but maybe really cut through the bullshit and really try to figure out a solution 
for people to get well, because we're just tired of seeing people go through what we went through. And we all know what we went through. And I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Honestly, I really wouldn't. No, no, me neither. Well, the good news about this whole thing is if you have a really, really clear idea of what you're trying to avoid, you can become extremely good out of it and put on an appearance of a really normal appearing life. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and I don't, I don't think I've been to the depths that like you guys have. And so I've been, I'm fortunate there. And like I said, I, I'm still functioning well, you know, I mean, I, I, I can still do a lot of the things that I want to do. I just don't feel great all the time doing it. And so it, it certainly could be a lot worse, I think for me. And, and so I'm grateful for some of that, but not satisfied with it. And so I think I appreciate your guys's candor and, and conversation. And it's, it's actually a lot of it's been in line with what I, I think inherently believed anyways. And then, but you, but you've expanded that for me quite a bit and, and confirmed a lot of the things that I, I was suspecting anyways. And so thank you for, for that time. I, I have to kind of get, get going here, but I'm happy to continue the conversation and would love to hear any suggestions you guys might have for me personally, one, just dealing with my own health. And then also I struggle sometimes with a lot of people reach out to me for advice and I don't know what exactly what to say because like like we've alluded to, everybody's kind of got a different experience through all of this. I would love to be able to provide some kind of general advice. I think like Eric, what, what you're saying is it makes a lot of sense to me is if you're if you're in an environment that's making you sick, get get out of it. You know, go go find ways to escape for a little while, see if that alleviates some of some of your symptoms and makes you feel a little bit better. I think there's a lot of ancillary benefit to just getting out and, and going to new places anyways. But if you guys have any kind of just general advice that I I could provide to people, because I I am I get kind of reluctant to say anything because I don't want to be another person that's causing stress for other people. So there's that. And then anything that you think that might work, especially in the detoxification realm that I'm, that I'm not doing now would be awesome. I, I was doing hyperbaric oxygen therapy for a while. I, I kind of stopped doing that. I don't know if it's beneficial or not I have access to one of those more of a tent style one, not a hard shell one, but I could, I can reintegrate that type of stuff back into my life. If there's anything like that, that you guys recommend that helps with the, any of this stuff, please let me know because I'm, I'm open to everything. I just don't want to waste a lot of time and money on things that aren't going to bear fruit. Well, when I found out that my reactivity was akin to a peanut reactivity, I completely shifted over to what a peanut reactor would do, which is avoid microscopic amounts of peanuts. Doctors still have uh, this mental model, well, you got sick because you ate too many peanuts. That doesn't apply to somebody who's hypersensitive. Yeah. So I would say to anybody who feels like they're being really adversely affected by unbelievably small amounts of the substance to think of it like a peanut reactivity and don't listen to doctors who say you just need to build up your immune system and eat fewer peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay, Ryan, thank you so much for for joining us today. I know you want to pop off. We'll provide you those resources via email. We can stay in contact that way. If you want to refer people to our page, we're exposingmold.com. We offer consultations. We have an extremely low cost educational. It's like 20 bucks a month. People can come on and we basically provide education. We're building actually curriculum for providers right now. We've had several providers reach out to us asking for that missing link. And so 
that's going to be a lot more detailed that we will also provide to uh, patients who really want to figure out, you know, their hypersensitivity and how to navigate it. Cause it is very, the minutia in the details is, is very, very taxing. But once again, kind of like what Eric said, once you build your senses, you start navigating your life, according to your senses, you start controlling contamination, you can live a normal life. It's yeah. just trusting yourself and also being hyper, hyper aware of your belongings. If you were feeling bad in a bad building, don't bring those clothes that you were exposed to into your home, you know, Clean those clothes right away when you get home or take them off or have a separate group of clothes for your inside of the house and clothes for outside. I know it sounds really crazy, but this is what you have to do in order to just allow the body to calm down so you can climb the power curve and feel better and feel normal. And that's, that's all it's, it's so simple. It's so simple. It's not IV vitamin C. It's not, you know, a $25,000 treatment that when you go back to your moldy home, it's just going to go down the drain. You know, it's just, it's, it's a simple bit of information that people can just apply to their life. And so we offer that at exposingmold.com. And if, again, if anyone, if I don't know if you are open to people reaching out to you, if not, you don't have to plug in your information, but feel free to do so now. Yeah. I'm, I'm, um, happy to share that information. So I'll definitely, I'll say, do you, what, what's the best way to do actually the, probably the best way for people to reach reach me, which is not actually the best way for people to reach me is just through direct messaging. Cause then I don't get inundated with emails that I'm going to miss or text messages that I, I'm going to miss, but I don't check that nearly as often, but I do check it. So that's probably the best way. So, okay. and then I'll, I'll send you, it looks like I'll send you my address and get you that sort of stuff too. So. And then, sure. I, and then I'm always, uh, I'll, when I send you that email, you'll have my email and then you can always reach out to me if there's anything else that, that I can, can do to help out. Yeah. And uh, vice versa. If you have any questions, you know, for anything, if whatever it is, just, just reach out. And again, at the end of the day, like we, we just became a nonprofit because we really want to do our best to help people. And if you have any questions, concerns, you know, Hey, I feel bad here. What should I do? You know, like reach out, we're an open book. And uh, Eric, Eric has been our teacher. He's been amazing. He's has 35 years skin in the game in this entire paradigm. So awesome. he understands it well. And if anything, even if it's just reaching out to, to receive some validation, like, you know, I'm still navigating this too, as a, as a hypersensitive and even just hearing from Eric or Keely, you know, getting their validation, like, Oh, I'm feeling this way. It's, it's just nice. It's nice to kind of have your, your intuition validated, kind of like what you said earlier, because everything, everyone was telling you didn't make sense. And now you're kind of gearing towards a path where what you feel is actually right. And, And that's what we teach. Always, always trust your senses first and foremost. Perfect. Well, thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. Keely Severson is passionate and committed to exposing the truth about toxic mold and its effects on the human body. Many mold-injured people are often misdiagnosed with autoimmune conditions, nerve damage, mental illnesses, and other chronic health conditions due to the lack of knowledge about water damage and toxic mold growing in their homes. The crippling effects of toxic mold on the body has destroyed many lives. Been there, done that. When she became a healthcare provider specializing in acupuncture and herbal medicine, it was only then that she truly began to understand the connection between her health and the environment that she was living in. Three years after becoming a licensed care provider, she became incredibly ill. She was suffering from kidney failure, reoccurring UTIs, and various negative mental health symptoms. 
When she learned that her family had been dwelling with mold trapped under her kitchen floor, the relationship between the toxic mold factor and her health finally began to make sense. It became part of her life's mission to help educate society on the extreme effects that mold can have on the body. Her work is vital because there exists a lack of experience and acknowledgement for mainstream medical practitioners and even mold experts. She has firsthand experience dealing with mold exposure and she makes sure to address all the signs and symptoms during every environmental screening that she performs. She's developed a line of organic herbal tinctures and formulas to help most patients reduce symptoms commonly associated with toxic mold exposures. These symptoms vary and can manifest themselves very differently from person to person. Her herbal education and experience has helped her increase awareness and recognize signs in patients that may result from their toxic environments. Keely's dedication to learning and understanding the effects of toxic mold and educating and bringing awareness to her patients and other providers keep her motivated. She knows just how devastating the untreated consequences can be on your health and the health of your families, relationships, and life outcomes. If you or someone you know may be affected by toxic mold exposure, rest assured that you and Keely will work together to find a solution. By working together to treat the symptoms and stay educated on toxic mold exposures, we can reduce the impact of this devastating phenomenon. To consult with Keeley, please visit exposingmold.com slash consultations. That's exposingmold.com slash C-O-N-S-U-L-T-A-T-I-O-N-S. Book your appointment today. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We had uh, Bachelor Royalty on today, Brian Sutter, although he doesn't feel he is Bachelor Royalty. He's just a wonderful guy and, and an incredible human being who is a firefighter and doing his best to help people just like we are. We're all in the game of helping, and we're so grateful for him for sharing his story and just, if anything, validating what he always felt was right all along. It's crazy how going through this illness our minds are so crowded with experts opinions and what people are telling us. And we never really trust ourselves and go with our gut feeling. And at the end of the day in this illness, that's what should be at the forefront, trusting your gut, trusting your intuition, trusting your senses and navigating your environments according to your senses. So again, thank you. Please like share comment on our content, check out our education page at patreon.com slash exposing mold. You can also consult with us or consult with Keely if you'd like some herbs to alleviate any symptoms. Also, we have a new sponsor. Thank you, mygoto.doc.com. We are so appreciative of you. Again, please check us out on all social media platforms and reach out if you have any questions. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Bye.